topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcane Co. to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals. Welcome listeners to episode 23 of the FS360 Financial Security 360 podcast brought to you by Mulcane Co. Um, You're listening to the host Gavin Nash. I'm here today again as I was last week with Antonia Gapes, financial planner. How are you Antonia? Oh very good, thank you. That's good. Thanks for your time last week. It was um, I did get a couple of positive comments from people about the episode, so it was um, great that we sort of could um, impart a little bit of information to our listeners from your articles on the website. Um, and today we're going to move on to two of the other articles that you've written for the website, Antonia. Uh, today, uh, they're all, just to recap for our listeners from last week, these are seven short articles that Antonia has put together on our website under the news tab for major events that happen in your life and how you can prepare for them or how you can react to them from a financial point of view. So um, today uh, we're going to talk about um, two, uh, probably two life events that most, well, one that everybody goes through and one that some people go through. So the first one is moving out of home. So for anyone that's... Um, uh, I've got a couple of kids that have done this in the last um, six weeks, Antonia actually, they've headed off to university. Um, so moving out of home and all the expenses that go with that. And then the second one is financial implications of going solo. So that's after you might, may have had a uh, relationship, um, uh, ending a relationship, a, a marriage or, or something else where you need to sort of sort out your financial um, situation after that event. So um yeah, but those we'll start with the moving out of home, and um, I'm not sure. Have you had kids do this sort of thing yet, Antonia, or have you still got them all? The I am not there yet, Gav. Not there yet. I've got a 19 year old and soon to be 16 year old, so no, I haven't crossed this bridge. But this is a group that I particularly like to um, work with because it's a group that doesn't often get captured by financial planning and material that goes out um, to the community. So the beauty of this particular category of moving out of home is that we're we're helping people to set foot right as they start to go through. And quite often when we do see people in those later years, they come through um, you know, more for retirement planning. There's so many things that retrospectively we could have done that uh, would have changed the outcome for them. So getting in early, setting people up right with the bedrock to be able to move forward and make sound decisions is a really terrific time as an advisor to deal with clients in that position. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's often the last thing that a young person's thinking about is you know um, structuring their finances for success. Um, but really, it is the absolute. The irony is that it's the best time to do it, isn't it? The beauty of compounding benefits on interest and money sitting and working for you um, is is certainly powerful. And you know, we look at statistics of. Uh, people in their 20s, oh, hang on a sec, I've got computers going off, sorry about that. No, this is the um, lovely, lovely part about our digital life now, isn't it? I've You've just had a, someone trying to give you a call on the computer, I've had someone trying to ring me on the phone that I'm on with you at the moment. No, but go for it. Okay, I don't know where I was actually. Well, no, um, just, just talking about that sort of the idea of the younger people thinking about um, these financial implications of, of their life, even right back to when they first move out of the family home and they're out sort of doing their own thing. Yeah, and, and it is that beauty of compound um, interest. I know even with my daughter, my 19-year-old, if I said to her, can we put 
$1,000 into your super now and we'll get the government co-contribution. What that would do for a young person in their 20s, you can't make up that lost ground because of that beauty of, of compounding, but it, it's usually the last thing you know, a 20-year-old will be thinking of and it is a long-term strategy, but those little bit of extra amounts that we can get right at the very beginning has a really big effect on that snowballing effect for for people in their 20s. So Jack was someone who came to me. He's a very typical scenario. Started off uh, with a couple of different employers, so has had multiple super accounts. Um, And as he was starting to get down onto his career path of being a carpenter, he'd done his apprenticeship, he was going to start to earn some good money and that hopefully was going to increase and build um, over the years. So for him it was looking at, okay, he had a couple of super funds, you're paying multiple amounts of fees, He'd never had a discussion about how he wanted to be invested. So we had those discussions. We knew what we wanted to do for him and his investments. We set up the right super fund that was going to meet those needs and that was mindful of what the fees and costs were to run that that particular fund. And that just sets him off on a really good pace versus having his super funds eroded with, with unnecessary fees across multiple accounts. So that was the first thing that we did. The other thing we looked at for... Um, Jack was budgeting. He knew he wanted to move out of home. It was super exciting. He'd saved $2,000. But we actually looked at the budget and how he had come to the idea that he was able to afford it. And we built in a couple of extra things about things that we know happen when you move in with a a group scenario. And there's a really great article, in fact, that one of the other advisors has put on the portal as well in regards to uni students and budgeting, et cetera, which is a really good template for young people as well. So worked out his budget. So that was the first conversation he'd had about budgeting as well. And we also looked at, okay, if you're going to move out of home, realistically, do you know, you're very reliant on your income. Should we be looking at starting to put some protection around your income that's coming in? And because he was a tradie, uh, not being able to get to the work site or being a hazard on the work site if he had a broken leg or something in a cast, meant that even short term, if he did break a leg or an arm, he would be out of action for a period of a few months. So with his current saving of $2,000, it was going to be a big impact and probably he's going to have to break the lease, he's going to you know, have issues with his friends and probably have to move back home. So looking at insurance for his income uh, was certainly important at this time. And isn't it funny, Antonia, look, I've, I've got children at this age, you know, and you have these conversations with them about, you know, what happens if you injure yourself and uh, then you can't pay the rent? Oh, well, you know, uh, Tom, my mate will fix up the rent. And I said, but then your friendships are becoming involved in your finances and you just don't want that. You want to you want to be set up well enough that you can look after yourself. If you break a leg, you know, you're insured, you've got some income protection insurance um, and you don't want to be leaning on friendships to solve any financial problems. That's just always going to lead to trouble, isn't it? You know, amongst a friendship group. And Jack's probably that classic sort of um, kid. He's finished an apprenticeship. He's probably 21, 22. He's sort of looking forward to that, you know, let the good times roll, as you say in the article, Antonio, like he's really looking forward to getting out there. But when you boil down and have that conversation about, right, we're going to pay rent, electricity, water, you know, we've got some utilities to pay, we've got some insurances to pay, um, cover yourself just in case. Um, Look, it does erode away at what, you know, party money they've got um, or whatever they've got for uh, heading out and doing social things. But some things just, this is the part of life when you're earning full-time money and these are the things that you need to think about before you um otherwise it can really affect friendships and things like that yeah it's about being a good steward so you know jack is now in a position where 
he's got his income covered, so he's not going to be leaning on mum and dad to help him if, if something were to happen that he hadn't planned for. He's not putting pressure on any of the other people he's sharing with. And because he's, he's starting to sign leases, he, he does need to become accountable for what he's contributing back into that group. So being able to put his income protection in place, there was a couple of benefits for that, and this is why it's so great to talk to people when they're young and healthy and fit. Getting income protection in place for Jack, who hasn't got a pre-existing, is fit and healthy. It's a it's a really seamless process getting new cover in place. And with changes that are coming through in the industry, particularly around income protection, it's a really good time to get good cover in place before that starts to tighten down and it's not as uh, flexible as what it is now. You'll know the te- technical terms, of course, Antonio, but with income protection, like the later you leave it, if you've got a pre-existing condition, all those things happen – uh, that can make your premiums um, a lot more expensive. And as you get later in life, you're earning more money. You're actually you're covering more money, I suppose, with your insurance too. So um, getting some income protection earlier on in life, um, really as soon as, you, as soon as you've got financial commitments, that could be a home loan or car loan or, or a full-time job where you've got to pay rent, that's the time to start thinking about it, isn't it? Totally agree. Income protection is, is the cover that I'm most concerned about getting in place for clients. Quite often you'll see people are thinking, oh, I need to get life cover. They're thinking, if something were to happen to me, I need to make sure everyone else is looked after. But statistics show that the greatest use of any insurance product is actually on your income and that you're still going to be with us and it could be a short-term or long-term accident or illness. And that is the most valuable cover that we have. Everything that you're paying for is coming from your, your income, whether it be your car insurance, whether it be your grocery bills. So making sure there's provision around that income still coming through the door if you weren't able to go off and, and do the work is really important. And look, one, one really simplified way of thinking about income protection insurance for a builder like Jack is, okay, what if I break my leg? Okay, well, if I break my leg, I'm in plaster for eight weeks, then I'm doing this, then I'm doing that, then I'm back on the job in 12 weeks. Well, but what happens if it's not that? What happens if it's something that where there's a bit of a longer, longer recovery? You know, um, I've had a family member that's undergone a stroke um, and it just sort of meant that he couldn't work uh, in a full-time capacity for about, it was about three and a half years before he got back to full-time work. So three and a half years of expenses with home loan and uh, car loans and all that sort of stuff and protecting your income um, was just invaluable. You know, that for him, that was just one of those things where, you know, um, he could concentrate on his recovery and not worry about the finances. Because um, often, you know, your financial implications, if you don't have income protection and you get injured, they can be the things that really slow down your physical recovery because you're so stressed out about the finance side. Yeah, without a doubt. Being able to give people the opportunity to breathe through whatever event is occurring that they're going to be making an insurance claim is the most important thing. We don't want them thinking that it's a, a lotto win, that they're overinsured, that it's a benefit. That's not the purpose of it. It's if an event were to happen, they can breathe, they can deal with what is, what the trauma and what the grief or whatever the experience is that they're going through and still not worry about that we're going to have financial implications. They know they'll be able to get through it and that they can focus on the wellness plan. And I suppose um, income protection is one, but, you know, under that generic banner of personal insurance um, is a whole lot of others, isn't it? So you've got some temporary, uh, you, you could probably run run through them, Antonia, sort of temporary, um, what's that called? The t- total or permanent disability, things like that? Yeah, there, there are a, a few. We've got trauma, we've got total and permanent disability, sure. life cover and income protection. So all cover very different 
uh, events that will happen. And so we look at actually making sure what are you prepared to self-insure, what would you be needing to have insured, and that's the value that we actually work with moving moving forward. Because somebody like Jack, he hasn't got uh, another person to provision for, he hasn't got debt, so life cover and total and permanent disability uh, were two totally different factors. Total and permanent disability was something that did need to be considered. For him, life cover wasn't something that we needed to discuss at that time. But that is a changing uh, landscape as we move through and we get older and, as you said, take on further commitments. Uh, like kids or marriage or something else? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, I'm just impressed that, you know, these uh, – you've said in your article that, Jack, uh, they were going to split rent and then they were going to charge a surcharge for when partners stayed in the house. I reckon that's an interesting one, you know. So, <laughs> so obviously there's Jack That was his, something we just – yeah, we discussed that because we, we look – What happens when there's yeah, additional often, people in the house? Yeah. yeah. It often happens and that's what – you know, it's these little arguments about – and it does, it becomes because – you start to realise that there's an that it's not an equitable position for everyone, that money's going in but they're not getting to the full benefit and someone's getting more benefit. So you're starting to think, so we actually added that into the budget uh, across the group when they were thinking about how much money they would need and how that would look and feel so that hopefully we iron out any bumps that can arise. Because look, I've even heard this from my own son, you know, where, you know, someone goes, oh, well, you know, I'm living here, uh, I'm paying for the room, but I'm hardly ever here because I work a lot. And then on other days I'm at, at a, a, my parents' house in the country. And then all of a sudden the other one goes, oh, yeah, I'm here all the time with my partner, using toilet paper, using, you know, food, using yeah. electricity, using heating seven days a week. And then that can cause, between friends, it's it's a shame, but that can cause kind of a bit of an argument, you know. So thinking about that stuff... Um, I think it's a great article because it sort of runs through some of those things. So I encourage everyone, all the listeners to go and have a bit of a read of it. It's called Moving Out of Home. So um, that was great, Antonio. Yeah, it's great to um, – uh, and one last thing I'll finish on actually is that income protection, you've said in the article, you know, you can sort of cover about up to about 75% of your wage, can't you? That's right. And, and looking at what that percentage and what that amount is is through a discussion with each person. It's It's up to – what they would need to come through the door if, if an event were, were to happen. So we can go up to 75%. We see a lot of our clients taking out that, that maximum amount of 75% because currently they're relying on traditionally 100% of their income. So finding out where that percentage is for each client uh, is through a discussion that we have when we're talking with them. Absolutely. So it's um, Moving Out of Home, it's called, guys. So jump on the news page of mulcahy.com.au and you can have a bit of a read through that. But or you just listen to uh, our conversation today and you're probably getting all the information you need. But one of the other articles, um, Antonio, we're going to cover today is called Financial Implications of Going Solo. So that's when two become one. So we're talking about a partnership or a marriage or something like that. Um, and you're, you've sort of titled it as treading the path alone and working out what you can do with your, with your split. Um, and that just becomes kind of part of the challenge of the whole thing. But the article really focuses on the financial implications of that event happening in your life. Yeah, we know there's a big adjustment. There's a big emotional adjustment, but there is also a financial adjustment as well. So being able to help people with the conversation that, okay, what does this look and feel like? What can we do? Sometimes the financial um, advice can help people emotionally breathe and go, okay, it's not as bad as what I thought, or yep, I've got this. We can you know, move forward and, and make decisions about how they want to proceed moving forward. And it's not uncommon to see um, people when they come through have battled trying to work out, I've never really had to look at this before. We see very often in couples that one person is predominantly the person who handles the finances and um, making decisions in this area of a couple. And 
very often when you have the other person who hasn't been making the decisions, it is overwhelming. And that was certainly the case with, with Rosie. She had never looked at any of her finances. Um, most things were pretty much left to her husband, who was the primary earner as well. So for her, it was very similar to Jack, actually. She had multiple uh, super accounts because she had done ad hoc work part-time casual over the years. In and so she had a few after super- kids and stuff, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not that, yeah, career wasn't the focus. It was certainly running a home and, and setting up the family. But So she was in a similar position. She had a few different super accounts. She'd never even had a risk profile. So talking about investments was a conversation she'd never had before. And that, again, is not unusual for 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, and even 60-year-olds. All of her investments were what we call default. So when she had a super account that was opened on her behalf from an employer because she didn't nominate or in the early years she wasn't able to nominate, they had decided based on Rosie's age uh, and that she was also a female, what her investment and what her risk profile is. Quite often when we do those risk profiles with clients, we find out exactly what their profile is, what their tolerance is, what's going to help them sleep at night, what they're looking for, what would attract them to certain type of investment styles. So there's a, a really lovely conversation that comes from doing risk profiling with clients. And certainly for Rosie, she'd never even done this before. So we, we came to the end of having a conversation for the first time in her life in her 40s about how she would like her money to be invested for her future self when she retires. Right. From there, we also looked at, okay, if we're going to receive a settlement because she was going to receive funds from uh, her husband and some of that was going to stay in the super environment because it was coming from his super account. If we're going to be putting it into a super account, we really want to be diligent and intentional about where that money is going to sit and perform because this is going to be super important for Rosie moving forward, that it's invested well and in a fund that's doing all the things that we hope that that money is doing and that it's growing and that it's not being eroded by fees, et cetera, et cetera. So, we had made sure that we'd had a super environment that was ready to take in a lump sum that was coming in through the settlement and it was how Rosie wanted to be invested. And I suppose the thing is she's, you know, you've written in your article she's 42, right? So she's got sort of 23 years to go until sort of that retirement age comes or, um, or you know, things change a fair bit with retirement. But really that, that amount of time can really uh, planned properly can really count, can't it? You know, that's a, an amount of time for, uh, you know, for if you can get your those superannuation and, and your finances in order. Yeah, and I think understanding how your funds are invested is, I would say, it's a key point to being a good steward of your financial affairs. Most people who have gone into an industry fund or have a, had a super fund set up for them couldn't tell you what the underlying investments are. And it is typical, but I don't believe it's in that person's best interest. So for Rosie, she, she now understands it's not overly complicated. It's just being able to have the conversation uh, in a way that she could digest the information and having that fund actually working for her, it, it is really important. And that, that risk you're talking about, so when there's 25 years to go, the fund risk can be a little bit higher with maybe some some better returns you know like you, you can have that whereas the closer you get to sort of that retirement age you want that risk to come back so that there's um so there's less risk on your on your money or your investments so you know someone at, at age 30 can probably have a higher risk um component to their investment than someone that's 61 years old so there's as you say that doing that risk profile with with the client and knowing where the client's own sort of preferences lie that's another one because you know 
I've got sort of friends who go, oh, I would never invest in the share market. And others that go, oh, I'd only ever invest in property. Well, you can actually do both, you know, at different percentages, you know, on the way through if that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, time horizon is an important part of that risk profiling is knowing how much time we've got for the funds to do all the magic and grow and, and have good returns. Yep. We know that there's going, you know, markets do go up and down and we see that in the graph. But it's never just a straight line up or down. It is a jiggy-jaggy line. So being able to have time to make sure that we've got longevity and as that timeline shortens and we, we have a, a smaller window, we do look to actually retouch on that risk profile to make sure that we're taking in the time horizon for the investment. That's great, Antonia. Talk, talk us through, Rosie, then you sort of also looked at her insurances and you've sort of said in the article that you've reduced some premiums to match her situation. Can you explain what all that means? Yeah, so for Rosie, because she was now no longer had a mortgage, she was going out to rent um, and obviously her, her entire situation had changed. So her current insurance were default, so she wanted to make sure that if she was going to go out and rent and she was the primary carer for the two kids, her income is super important to that whole equation working. So making sure we had good income protection, we were able to make sure that she had life and TPD cover that suited her current situation with provision for the fact if she were to take on a mortgage, we could increase her insurance without further underwriting to match her mortgage. And so having those features that we know that we can get with insurance is important to do while you're still fit and healthy and we're putting those insurances in place. A lot of Rosie's insurance was actually default as well because they were just within the super fund uh, and it was whatever the insurer put on her based on her age and the fact she was a female, which probably doesn't ask enough questions to make sure that the, the amounts were right. So we actually reviewed all of her insurances, gave her a fit-for-purpose insurance, so she was not paying more than what she needed. If something happened, she understood how she would be able to cope and those are the insurances that we put into place. The other important part of that, Gav, is looking at her estate planning. So quite often we do see people a couple of years after they've, they've had a divorce and life has moved on. And when we look at their superannuation, where they have got some insurance, where they have got decent amount of insur- um, super balance, it's still actually being sent to the old spouse because they haven't updated their, their nominations in their, their super. Right, so that, that was important as well. Later. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because even if you have separated and maybe not legally divorced, if you don't have good instructions on your nominations for your, your super and your insurances, you, you do leave yourself open a little bit to the possibility of an ex-spouse being able to um, have access to a potential claim. So making sure you bring that off if that's not your intention, that you make your intentions very clear to who you'd like to receive any benefits. So if there's if you've separated but you're not yet divorced, you you can you can sort of safeguard those insurances and your superannuation so that you're sort of you know as you've mentioned in the article you're not yet divorced um, partner can't can't really access that it sort of then can go to your beneficiaries which could be your children or whatever. Correct. So if you if you don't nominate anybody, it'll go to your estate and your estate can be contested and an ex spouse is a person who is legally able to contest the will. So we don't necessarily want funds going directly to an estate potentially. We would prefer it to go to who we know we want the funds to go to. In this case, it was to raise these two kids. 
So we made sure that the funds were actually directed that way so that they received the funds. It kept it out of the will, which couldn't be contested by an ex-spouse. So it just kept everything nice and clean and clear for Rosie moving forward. And I suppose, as you say, you, as you mentioned right at the start of that little, um, of the, talking about this article, about the emotional change of uh, life partner, you know, that can just be a huge roller coaster. Um, but having that peace of mind that you're, at least your finances are, are sorted, um, I can assume for some of your clients, Antony, would be just a huge weight off their shoulders. They would probably feel this, like they can take a deep breath and say, well, that's all organised. It's all in order. I've spoken to an advisor. I know exactly where things are, especially someone like Rosie who, um, you know, if I look at my own situation, I'm the, I'm the one that doesn't know anything about the finances. My wife does all the finances. So, you know, it can be, I can imagine if that happened to me, I'd be like, where is everything? I don't know where anything is. So that feeling that everything's in order uh, must be a great feeling for some of your clients in that part of their life when they've just undergone a separation. For some people, it is it is overwhelming because it, it's going, as you just in your case, it's dealing with issues that they've never really had to deal with before with their finances. For others, it's, it's almost like the thought of starting off, oh, I could never run a marathon. Well, probably if you went to run a marathon, that would be really hard. But if you want to go for a run, that would lead to that. So just being able to put one foot in front of the other, start digesting it and breaking it down into really bite-sized pieces of what we actually need to deal with and have a plan of how we're going to actually do that and, and have somebody help you to implement is, is important. And I think there's great value in that. I can't tell you how many times when we talk to people who are going solo and 40 to 50 tends to be the age group that we see a lot of people with marriage breakdown that they think I'll never be able to retire. When you say, okay, what would be, you know, what's the dream? When would you like to be able to pull up stumps and retire? Quite often, I would, I couldn't tell you how many times I hear it, I don't think I'll ever be able to retire. So being able to work with those people to put a plan in place that can show, we can actually do this, we can get you there. It's going to be different than what it was before because we're talking about a single person versus a couple. And we know that, you know, if you've got a house and you're paying rent and you're paying groceries and you're paying electricity, it's a lot more efficient financially to do that as a couple than it is as an individual, but we can help people to get there. I suppose that's the whole, you know, if we were to um, summarise what a financial advisor is, that that's your role, isn't it, Antonio? Just to step people through the marathon when they're not sure how to run the marathon, you know? So, um, and some of these steps can take a while to get around to, you know? There may, may be even, even delving into what your current super's got, you know, can take time. So, but it's a matter, as you say, it's a matter of taking the one step at a time and don't don't think it's all got to be done in the next um, three days. You know, we can get to this over a period of weeks if we need to or a month or whatever it is um, and do all the investigations we need to do so that you get to be in good position financially. So, Yeah, we, we do this day in, day out, dealing with uh, providers, getting all the information in, finding out where everything is, working out what we can do and moving forward and implementing. And even though we do this day in, day out, it is it is a time process and I can imagine for people who are working, dealing with life outside of that, that it is easy to just default to putting it aside and dealing with it later and then that later pile just, it, it really doesn't get dealt with because it becomes overwhelming. It does. And I think, um, I think both of those topics today, I think a lot of people can... Uh, can sort of relate to them. I think that moving out of home that we spoke about at the start, 
that everyone's done that. Everyone at some stage has left the family home uh, as a teenager or as a young adult and moved on um, and started realising exactly how much rent costs and uh, and bills cost, etc. Um, these days it's only got worse, Antonio, you know, with kids with mobile phone uh, plans and all that sort of stuff and data plans and home Wi-Fi and all that stuff, um, Netflix, you know, logins and everything. So the old um, just having electricity, gas and water um, has changed for some of these kids. But um, And then the financial implications of going solo. So once you've had a, a marriage breakup or a, or a split of some kind um, with a partner, um, how how you look at that financially and just to remind our, our listeners that, that that is why this podcast exists financial security so fs360 um, is why we exist and we just want to get that information um, out to people as much as possible um, so that was great Antonio. thanks for all your information on those couple of articles today it's been great oh, thanks for having me again that's okay and we're going to finish off with a couple of um, items that we do each week. So the first one is the 22 things we've learnt in 22 years of business. And uh, I think this one's going to be uh, around insurances um, because I think insurances, as you said earlier in the program about Jack, you know, he's, he's 20, 21 years old, he's finished his apprenticeship. The last thing he's probably thinking about is protecting his income, you know, because it's just going to cost him an, another additional amount each month to, to do that. But I think personal insurances, as you said, trauma, total disability and permanent disability, life insurance as you get older and you've got dependents, these insurances, just like your insurer, you wouldn't drive your car out the driveway without some insurance. Um, you wouldn't, wouldn't have a home loan on a house without some insurance in case it burnt down. So the same thing with your income and um, your life, isn't it? You can't pay those other things without your income. You're right. Yep. And I think, um, so that's a really good takeaway from today's episode or, or the thing we've learned um, uh, in the 22 years of business that we've sort of um, been doing on each of the episodes is just look at your personal insurance. If you've never thought about personal insurance before, go and have a chat to an advisor and do that. The last one I wanted to run through, uh, Antonio, was our win of the week. I'm such a DJ, you know, with all my little bits of music that I play <laughs> here. So, um, but Antonia, you, um, your office up in the Sunshine Coast participated in this um, a couple of weeks ago. We had International Women's Day. So um, we worked out that over 50% of the 150-odd staff that are employed by Mulcahy Co nationwide are women. So um, we're actually in the majority in our business. So um, we thought it was a great idea to celebrate the uh, contribution that women make to our business um, by having a International Women's Day. Um, we actually had a few drinks after work on a Friday night down here in the Ballarat office. Um, Antonia, what did you guys do? Uh, we had a, a nice afternoon tea and uh, a, a little game that we played, so we kept it very professional. <laughs> a little game, that's good. And your photos were by far the best. Like I, I've, I've put those up on the social, Mulcahy Co social media accounts, got, uh, listeners, so go and have a bit of a look at the, some photos from the those days. But you you guys had masks on and uh, you guys, yeah, you guys won the prize for the most effort in the costume side of things. Together, all the staff sort of donated a little bit of money and um, the business matched and we got to $500 that we raised that we've donated Yay. to to the, yeah, yay. I need a little sound for that, don't I? So um, anyway, I haven't got one. So, um, But uh, yeah, $500 was donated to the Zonta Club, um, Zonta International. So uh, Zonta Clubs are all around Australia and they exist to um, 
uh, empower women worldwide. So they're an international organisation, a bit like a, if people are used to seeing a Rotary Club or a Lions Club, they're a bit like that. Zonta, if you've never heard of them, Z O N T A, so you could Google them. Um, but they do a lot of good work uh, in all their different localities around um, uh, advancing women worldwide. So that was great to be part of that. And thanks for your your effort in that, Antonio, up at the Sunshine Coast office. And thanks for all your time today with the two articles, Moving Out of Home and Financial Implications of Going Solo. Thanks, Gus. Thanks, Antonio. Have a great day. And we'll listen to, uh, we'll be back next week, guys, with Antonio's final two um, final two uh, articles. And they're all about getting married and having children and the financial implications of those two. So we really look forward to those uh, next week with you, Antonio, and we'll speak then. Okay, catch you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the FS360 podcast brought to you by Mulcahy Co. Financial Security 360 is at the centre of what we do at Mulcahy Co. If you'd like to speak to one of our professionals about a range of individual and business needs, give us a call.